0: Hey podcast, thanks so much for listening to this uh, episode of Shop Talk. This conversation with Vaughn Accord goes way deeper than John and I anticipated and we were just delighted and really inspired by the wisdom, the gentlemanliness um, that this A-list – Hairstylist had to offer and he just brought a relatability that we just thought was amazing um, he's also the founder of the V76 men's line and they've extended an offer to our Shop Talk listeners so if you click the link below and use the code SHOPTALK20 um, that's SHOP S-H-O-P T-A-L-K 20 um, they'll extend a 20% off on the retail purchase so anyway um That's for you guys. Hey, for salon owners and managers, it's your last chance this week to sign up for four-day intensive. So if you've been on the fence about this and you're thinking, you know, I'd really want to take my salon to the next level. You know, maybe we're busy, but I don't understand where all the money's going. Maybe I want to learn how to grow my team to the next level or strengthen my culture. All of that is in there for you. And so um, that's a four-day workshop. It happens May 16, 17, and then the next two days are on the, I believe, 23rd and 24th. That's two back-to-back Sunday Mondays. I hope I said the dates right. Anyway, um, you can email us at info at 124go.com to attend that workshop. And if you happen to be a Cune Salon, which is awesome, Kuhn uh, partnered with us on that. And so you can use your business building dollars to uh, attend that workshop as well. So if you've got some dollars in the education budget and you want to spend them in a good way to help your business grow, that would be a great investment of that um, money. So um, with that said, guys, you're gonna love this episode with Von Accord. Um, enjoy it.
1: You know, I just I, I started doing them, and and for whatever reason, it went from doing GQ and and uh, Esquire magazines like that, and then it started to roll into uh, musicians, and then it was celebrities, and then it was photographers at a certain level, and then you're at the White House and presidents mm-hmm. and senators and all kinds of stuff. So um, it was, I just felt comfortable there with.
0: Everybody, welcome back to the Shop Talk podcast brought to you by 124Go. I'm your co-host, Chris Soulemay, and as usual, sitting here with my great friend, Mr. John Palmieri. And man, we, we've already been talking. In fact, I may even play that conversation, the pre-conversation that we just had, because um, Vaughn's already been knocking it out of the park. P.S. I've heard your name as Vaughn Accord, but I noticed that you, when you came on, it's Michael Vaughn Accord.
1: That's correct. That- I go by Vaughn in the hair world. This has annoyed some clients that I've had for a real long time because just recently someone was sitting in my chair and with everything we've been through, she was sitting there and someone came in that knew me from, you know, high school or growing up. And they said, you know, so maybe we'll see you this weekend, Michael. And, and she paused for a minute and she goes, who is Michael? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, my born name is Michael Vaughn Accord. And I, uh, I went by Vaughn. That's another story. Uh, I, was, I was named that at Bumble. And she says, "Wait a minute! I've been sitting in this chair for 25 years, and, and I'm now <laughs> hearing of this for the first time. Right. It's almost like I, I I pissed off my wife or something. I didn't, I'm feeling really guilty there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I go by Vaughn in the hair world, and um, pretty much all ever since that I started in New York City, that that became my name.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So you're the founder of the brand V76. I am. You own a salon called Mizu.
1: Uh, it's Mizu, and now Louis Licari has joined us. So the official name of the salon is Mizu Louis Licari.
0: And you're on Park Avenue in New York City. You're is there a, a men- better address than that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, There's this time
1: not. of year, especially not, because all the trees and the tulips are blooming, and it's, it's uh, really lovely to look out the window and see that. Yeah.
0: Well, that's fantastic. You're a men's groomer. You know, we kind of talked in the warm-up a little bit. We're thrilled to be having this discussion. You've got an A-list clientele. Your editorial works are incredible. So, uh, I, you know, there's a million different ways we can go with this conversation. John, why don't you uh, go ahead and get us started?
2: Well, I want to start where we kind of always start because I think it's one of these unifying principles for us as hairdressers, which is how did this happen? Like, why was this a career choice? How did you pick this? Why this road? Why this path?
1: I, I know, and I'm just as interested in everyone else's stories, too, because they really are unique with Vivian yeah. being a dancer. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I never knew that and I've known her for many, many years, but for me, Oddly enough, I, I, I came out of a really broken, pretty violent, horrible family situation, and I was the oldest. So mm-hmm. uh, a very messed up, addicted father. Um, my mother got us away from him. I have mm-hmm. a younger brother and sister, and he was a barber. But to this day, he had nothing to do with the career path or the choice that I made um, in going this route. I never looked at that. Mm-hmm. As we spoke earlier, there were barbershops and beauty shops before. It smelled mm-hmm. like perm or it smelled like club and tonic or something right right and um i never i never admired it i really looked up to it in any way that like that but um uh i got i, I just i didn't realize when i was going to college that uh, i knew what i wanted to do at that time i was the oldest one it took everything for her to get me to that level to go to school and and be educated in college and within the first year i didn't um i just was kind of confused as to why i was doing there. it was 1978 i believe and 79 and um, these guys would come to the parties and they were some guys were showing up there and they were extremely handsome they had their hair done right and they had the gauze shirts on the platform shoes they had it just they looked really really cool right and it took me a couple times a couple parties or whatever to figure out uh, enough courage to go over and say what are you guys studying here you seem like you're happy and you're really into some sort of groove and and they confessed that they didn't go to the college. They were coming to Ohio State is where it was. But they'd come to campus for all the parties and the fun, the energy. But they were going to beauty school, downtown Columbus, mm-hmm. the Ohio State School of Cosmetology and Barbering. And they invited me to come down and join them and uh, have lunch. And we just sort of became friends. And um, and I did. And it just it, it made sense to me. What I wanted more than anything, I think, was to get out of... Uh, get out of Ohio, I wanted mm-hmm. to leave at a very early age. And when I decided to, to get into hairdressing, it gave me this, this trade that I felt like I could do anywhere in the world. And um, so I, I signed up for the school, you know, with my mother's blessing, I left Ohio State University and I started to go to a beauty school there. That's kind of how it all began. I, um, I did get my hair cut once prior to that by a guy in town And it was, you know, this whole new blow drying type of thing. I must've been 14 (laughs) or 15 years old. Right. Yeah. And, um, I remember taking a pair of uh, athletic shears, the ones that bent where you cut the tape off, but they Mm -hmm. were silver and they looked very sharp and professional, but it's all we had in the house. And I I wanted to see if I could cut hair. I wanted to try it. Mm -hmm. So I got got my brother. who was seven years younger than me. (laughs) And if I, if this was at 14, so he was seven and 70. Yeah. And, uh, I he looked like a botched pumpkin. It, the <laughs> ch- chunks of hair were just taken out in these giant squares. I didn't know, yeah. I didn't know like where to put the comb when I pulled the shears up, I pulled the section up. And um, anyway, I, I I remember giving up, walking away from it, and, and sort of forgot about it that afternoon after school until my mother got home from work and I heard her, and the exact words were, "Michael Vaughn."
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's how it works. <laughs> Those are two, you know, my first haircut was in 1976. That's when it was. And that's why V76 took on the oh. name. My poor brother, my poor brother, um, I was.
0: Got 16. to be first.
1: Yeah, got to be the first one.
0: I love that you forgot about it. I kind of <laughs> forgot about it. I well, was something
1: to do after school that yeah. day. And then because yeah. it didn't work out so well, I was just kind of moving on to the next <laughs> thing. My first job ever in life was I was a drummer. I've been playing drums my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I got my first paycheck at 14 in the studios on recording on 45s. And then from there, it goes into, you know, all the things we just talked about, the different formats and everything. But I think when I look back now, being 60 years old at what happened when I was four or five years old and just sort of having this rhythm I mean, blow dryers are a rhythm to me. People walking, mm-hmm. you know, in this apartment in the morning, I just, I hear rhythm all the time and pick up on it. It's funny because clients will come in and they'll say, I'll say, wait a minute, I, I have to go and correct this song or, or, you know, we've got this service where you can, they just pump out music different times of the day is digitally. Right. And if I don't like the song or the direction it's going, I can go in and just correct it and it does its own algorithm. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, uh, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that last song. And they're like, there's music playing here. <laughs> so, Right. It's funny yeah. how some people just hear things all the time, um, but I I put the connection together more when you think about it. I think it was, for me, it was using my hands. It was mm-hmm. something that I could physically do that made sense and became a tangible thing uh, to make money and do. Yeah. I know, would, I, would I have ever thought that I would end up in Europe doing the things I did and come back and live in New York City? It's the last place I wanted to live. And now I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere in my life. So... Um, it was more about, I think, just uh, like you said, the trade, using your hands right. more than more than um, trying to reflect on the, uh, some of the other things, and certainly, certainly not my um, father's career.
2: Let's talk about New York for a minute. How did you get from Columbus, Ohio, to New York?
1: You no, know, there was. I uh, we were playing music on the weekends. I, w- I was from Cleveland, right outside of Cleveland, this college town called Oberlin, which is a big music town. Mm-hmm. Yep. and there was a small little boating community north of that called Vermilion, Ohio. It's like a Nantucket feeling. Sure. sort of town and to this day, people from Cleveland uh, go there and have boats and all that stuff. Sailing happened a lot in the great lakes. So um, I would go on the weekends and we'd play music. And then I, I um, started playing with a band, uh, recording with them. And then I became part of this band called the Pony Boys out of uh, Cleveland. And we, we started opening for the Rhythmics and the Ramones and Culture yeah. Club and the Thompson Twins and the church and all these big bands that were coming over at that time. Um, and then we would go to we would go to Boston, we go to Pittsburgh, we go to Cleveland, we go to the, New York City at various times, and be on on tour with them for a couple of shows as the opening act, looking to get signed by their labels or just be seen by these large crowds. Right. We've always been to shows and see the opening acts and stuff. So one weekend I was here and we were playing and uh, in New York, and um, I went to this club called the Limelight on an off night, and this lady came up and said, uh, "Can I?" Can I interrupt you for a second? And I said, "Yeah, what's up?" And She says, uh, "What agency are you with?" And I said, um, "We're here. We're here playing. You know, tomorrow night you should come." So my friend Pete, you know, on this end, she goes, "No, I just, I just wanted to know what agency you were with." And I, I didn't know what she was talking about. She goes, "Here's my card. Just, you know, I might give you a call or give me a call." And I did. Uh, fast forward, you know, like a month later, I'm in in magazines, in my underwear, doing ads for uh, various campaigns and stuff. Mm-hmm. so i went back to ohio they flew me to, to new york i started testing and doing um doing various shoots and, and making a lot of money not really understanding fully what modeling was and what that career and all that stuff was and oddly, oddly enough my mother was the one that uh called me one day i was in the salon i was cutting hair phone rings at your mom i picked up and she goes when you were in new york did you take pictures a couple months ago <laughs> and i said yeah why and she goes go get Harper's m- Magazine, page 67. I know my son when I see him in his underpants. So she- <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah, You know, I made a little bit of money and did that. So there came a time uh, where they I signed with this agency here called Click, and they wanted to send me to Europe for, um, you know, months. Mm-hmm. And But I was cutting hair, and I was just getting my career off the ground uh, near Oberlin. So I checked in with my uncle, and he was just sort of like the – the rock, you know, mm-hmm. and um, helped me out a lot. So he said, you can always cut hair. You'll, you'll be able to cut hair the rest of your life. Why don't you go do this? You can, you can go over there and live and understand the mm-hmm. currency and, you know, learn another language if you'd like, but take advantage of this at, at your age and go over there and do that. So I did. And I ended up living over there for four years and coming back and forth to the States. And while I was there, um, I was doing an ad for Vidal Sassoon, or, or um, I think it was Trevor Sorby and he had mm-hmm. come out with a product for the very first time. And the, the person who was grooming me was Vivian. And um, we started talking, we hit it off. And I said, you know, are you going to taper the back or, you know, um, is there a lot of graduation in this? What products are you using? And she looked at me at one point and said, well, how do you know so much about hair? Like, where are these terms coming from? People don't right. usually talk about tapering and graduation. And, and I said, well, I'm, licensed, I'm a licensed hairdresser. <laughs> You know, some things have happened and I ended up over here and she goes, you, you should get back into it someday, you know, you'd be great at cutting, doing hair, you know, if, mm-hmm. whenever you're done with this and of course it has its expiration date modeling is, sure. is you know, for seven years. Um, so I remembered that and then, you know, when it was time to come back to uh, the States, my wife had graduated from college, she was at the UN in Geneva, so we were kind of over there together and she said i want to live in miami uh, san fran new york some sort of a port city because i want to do international business she was studying politics and international business mm-hmm. and we ended up in new york she goes why don't we live in new york you're working there mm-hmm. and i said new york city you really want to live in new york city and she says well you're working there and i go but yeah but i come and go it's not like i'm there every day oh, right you know, yeah. like crazy city you know mm-hmm. yeah. and um so i said all right we'll try it for a couple of years we'll give this a go for a couple of years and um Two years after that, I just said, "You know what? i I. I don't want to buy anything here because I want to leave. When I want to leave, I don't want to be stuck owning something and not be able to sell it. And we bought our first apartment. Then I said, I don't want <laughs> yeah. to have kids here. This is not how I grew up. It's not how you grew up. This is right. your kids. I'm not going to have kids here. And then after two kids, she's laughing at me, going, "What? Are you, I hear you." I don't,
0: don't bury me in New York. <laughs> <laughs> <Bury me.
1: laughs> That's how I ended up here. And then um, the agency <sighs> wanted me to go to Japan for six months. And I really had just gotten there with Jill and we were about to get married. And I said no to the agency. And when I said that, that was guaranteed money for both of us that kind of got mm. pushed away. You know, it wasn't becoming a career. And now I'm, now I'm going into marriage and I'm thinking about a family and all that stuff. She said, get back into hair. You're always good at hair. Why don't you get back into hair? And I called uh, Dwight Miller, who's another icon, mm-hmm. sort of mentor of mine a long time ago, worked with him. Uh, he worked with me, Vivian, uh, Trevor, um, some people from Allen International, just people I met throughout that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talked about Bumble and Bumble happening at that time. Mm-hmm. So I went to Bumble and I met Michael and I sat around for about a month just in between jobs. Finally, I told him, I said, yep, I think I, I want to do this. I want to I start working here. And he goes, great, start Monday. And uh, what's your name gonna be? And I said, well, first of all, I'm not gonna gonna pretend that I'm gonna start cutting hair on Monday because I haven't cut hair for seven years. I've been modeling. Mm -hmm. And even at that, I was in Ohio cutting hair. I mean, this is New York City. Mm -hmm. He goes, so you really want to assist? And I was 28, I think at the time. And uh, I said, yeah, I need to learn this all over again. If I'm gonna Mm -hmm. do an apprenticeship, I, I was, you know, I wanna learn it the right way. So he goes, all right, suit yourself, but what's your name gonna be? And I said, Michael. And he said, no, that's my name. And I go, well, so and goes, there's too many of us here. The mail will get screwed up. You know, you'll have a client of mine in your chair. I'll have one of yours. We all have different names. So I said, all right, you be Michael. And I'll be Mike. And he looked at me and he goes, you don't look like a Mike at all. You <laughs> don't up,
0: look like a Mike. What's no. your
1: middle name? And I said, Vaughn. And he goes, that's perfect. So, you know, I have to credit Michael Gordon gave me the name Vaughn. So that's how that was born.
0: You're like, I mean, as I'm listening to this fantastic story, <laughs> you're like the uh, much better looking, much smarter version of Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. It's like oh. you you ended up in every perfect possible place. Well, you know, yeah, there's... Dwight Miller and Michael Gordon, and you know, yeah. sitting in Vivian's chair. Vivian's and, right. Vivian's doing uh, your hair
2: on a shoot. Like, how does this happen?
0: And Trevor, of you know, of course, but, you know, ending up over there with Trevor, and it, mm-hmm. it's it's so interesting because. So many people, I mean, you took a, it sounds like a, a full seven to eight year hiatus mm-hmm. from doing hair. When you came back around in the hair and you were sitting with Michael and you were kind of seeing that happen and unfold and considering this as like, okay, I'm going to do this. What were the things when you got back into it that were, that you felt like I'm really landing with this, this time around.
1: I think it was just those aha moments we've all had as hairdressers. You know, you're frustrated, you're frustrated, you're frustrated, you can't do it. And then boom, it happens once. Right. And then you see the magic. So was it my eye that was adjusting to it and I was doing it all along, but not seeing it, or was I really not doing it correctly? And I had to break through and and finally see what it was that uh, was in my way. Mm -hmm. So I think the trickiest thing about the difference about being educated at this level is the final months is really your, your eye, Mm -hmm. you know, not knowing when to stop a haircut and not kill it to step away from something and say, that's great. You know, this wasn't, this wasn't a meal. I didn't make a Thanksgiving dinner here. It's not a makeover. It's a little sandwich. I made some adjustments, but this is really looking good right now and Mm -hmm. understanding that that's just as valuable and worth every penny that's being paid to me as much as uh, completely doing a makeover on somebody, whether it's male or female. And just because I, um, have specialized in men through these years, and again, that modeling career kind of mm-hmm. kind of helped my comfort zone with those level of photographers. I, I do women too. I, my 50% yeah. of my clientele—that's what I was going to say—is female yeah. as well. Be, because Bumble was such a place, Michael was one of the first. Um, places where you would start to open up a magazine and look in the spine and see who did the makeup, who did the styling, you know, who mm-hmm. did the hair, who was the photographer. Right. So those jobs were really starting to roll in. And the magazines were healthy at that point. Celebrities were coming into Bumble, mm-hmm. a lot of models were coming in. And then the men's thing started to happen. And, um, you know, I just, I, I started doing them. And, and for whatever reason, it went from doing GQ and, and, uh, Esquire magazines like that, and then it started to roll into uh, musicians, and then it was celebrities, and then it was photographers at a certain level, and then you're at the White House and presidents mm-hmm. and senators and all kinds of stuff. So um, it was. I just felt comfortable there with guys. Mm-hmm. I just felt like as a guy, mm-hmm. maybe the modeling had something to do with it. It was educational. It was an experience. There was sure. something there that was a value when he, when you talk about fashion and and me being in hair. Mm-hmm. But um, it was just a place where I, I felt. I felt like I knew what looked good
2: on a guy. I want to talk more about the Bumble piece for a little bit, if we could.
1: Sure.
2: Having gone to Bumble's school back in the early 2000s, there was a cultural difference. You said that you had spent a little bit of time just kind of watching and observing and and being in the salon. You're not going to remember this, but uh, because there's a a million people walking in and out of there. But I had gone to the school one day, uh, uh, school for the weekend, and then spent two more days just hanging out in the salon. I had asked if I could just just hang out and watch and they said sure and one of the people that came up to me and said hello was you um which I thought was really interesting because everybody was busy everybody was really busy and that was Except great me. <laughs> No it wasn't that you were busy you actually stepped away and took the time to say hey you know tell me what you're doing here you know, and in a nice way like tell me why you're here what is it that you're you're doing and I told you, you know I wanted to learn and I wanted to absorb I think what I, I wanted to say is you were willing to give out the very thing you were looking for. You were willing to put out what you were hoping to get from other people. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. That, makes me took, feel
1: really, that, really, that, that really makes me feel good. I'm, I'm glad that you remembered that. And I'm glad you shared that with me. And I'm glad I did that. Yeah,
2: you took the time to come over and say hello. And you had a busy day because I stood there all day and watched. Um, but yet you still took that time and effort tell me what's behind that for you.
1: You were in our house, you know, that's yeah. that's a and this is where um we spoke earlier about this guy win and I listened to his his whole thing, right? Yeah. Um two things I want to touch on here. People feeling really really safe, you know, the things that that people want and need. And and I've found over the years from 9/11 that week that happened in mm-hmm. the backyard here to um, th- the salon is just such a place of 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 community you know it mm-hmm. goes it goes beyond the uh, the egos and and all the uh, the stuff about your the latest greatest hair and all that i'm sure people want to do that but don't you realize after all these years that, that people come and they connect with you and they want to talk to you and they want to share things with you and it's such a big part the psychological part of what we do mm-hmm. can't be taught in school you mm-hmm. you have to just you have to learn that and accept it and get good at it or, or you you don't. You're just a talented hairdresser, and you, you know you, you care less about the people. And there's a lot of those out there too. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just a sense of community. I think that in the inner cities, um, the gay world for years would go to these cities because they were welcome there. Mm-hmm. They could reinvent themselves. They could be themselves mm-hmm. in these suburban areas. And I'm talking about the past. Things mm-hmm. are changing, thank mm-hmm. God, sure. for the better after all these years. Mm-hmm. But back, you know, 30 years ago or more. Um, you would see more men in the salons because I think uh, a lot of them were trying to discover themselves, um, trying to be happy and accepted places and those cities were the places where they would congregate to do that, whether they were going there to be designers, stylists, dancers, actors, um, models, hairdressers, whatever. I think that the small number from my experience over all these years, even though I've, I've seen plenty of them too, is the straight guy that's in the salon doing women's hair and doing, doing um, guys hair and whatever. But uh, I just wanted to touch on that because two things, when when said that, you know, one of the keys to to being a successful leader in a salon is that you have to, it has to be a place where it's safe and people want to know that they belong there. And um, so when you walk into my, you walk into the salon, I feel like it's mine. I've been there um, mm. successfully. And it's like, I want to welcome you. And I want to, I want to share a little bit about the kind of fun we're having there and, and see what you're up to and where mm. you're from. I mean, I, there's a general curiosity with me anyway, but, um, and I don't remember that exact moment, what was think- what I was thinking about, but I do feel, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I went over and talked to you because something was, something enticed me to do that. You
0: know, you're a salon owner of, you know, I, it looks to me, I've, I haven't been in your space, but I've seen pictures of it. It looks like a pretty big, beautiful space in, you know, on park Avenue in New York city. Um, I guess I'm curious when the ownership leap happened for you, because you worked with Bumble for some time, and then tell us about that.
1: Um, well, Bumble sold, so we were, you know, we, we created that product, and there was a there was magic years there, without a doubt. There was a lot of very magical things happening there serendipitously with with product. that salon burnt to the ground. Uh, when it came back, it came back with financial help, but this time with a product, you know. And then, um, so the opportunities way before we're doing what we're doing here through digital means, we had to travel we had to get on planes and go to salons and encourage people to see stuff. And, and what they would be informed with were magazines. And sometimes across the States, if you wanted to spend the money, you would get these European magazines like WOMO Vogue and, and um, just various, it was officiel, all kinds of magazines. And you wouldn't know what happened during the shows until these magazines came out a couple months later. Yeah. Now you know what happened at the shows like minutes after it yeah. happened and things right. are being duplicated. So, you know, there was uh, really quite a change with all that stuff happening then, but when Bumble sold to Estee Lauder, it shifted the dynamic for some of us that, and, and the reasons why we went to Bumble to begin with and what we created when we were there to begin with. So that became, um, then, then I started thinking more and more about, you know, getting out and, and creating um, an atmosphere where we really appreciated the clients coming in and, and um, and just a whole different client experience type of thing. At that time, Damien and I were looking, because I've done this with partners, it's not just my place. And I, you know, this is done with teamwork. Uh, the my Belgrade problem. Group out of Boston is huge uh, influx of cash and, and resources mm-hmm. to us. Damien and I left, we wanted to go do something. I met him 20 some years ago before this happened at Bumble. He's a and, um and he's an education driven sort of Dean of what we do. And he was at Bumble, and and he's also doing that at um, at Arsalon, or or was, you know, when we, we had the freedom to do all that stuff. So he and I um, met with Vidal Sassoon, San Ilan, and and Vidal, and uh, this group out of uh, Boston, a couple of distributors, and we, they were opening a Mizu in Boston. They were looking to open one in New York City and one in Washington D.C. And they were going to build a school on the grounds of Boston College, where this school would be. You could dorm there. You know, the, you could actually live at the school for two years instead of an inner city school, you have to come and go like what we grew up in. Mm-hmm. There would be um, other curriculums like the history of hair going way back into um, the b- very beginnings of hair. Like why was razor used at the time? And what, is, what are the French doing versus Sassoon? What was that movement mm-hmm. when Sassoon came and changed the, the, the context of everything? From what, what did he change it from? And who are these mm-hmm. celebra- ce- celebrated hairdressers? and? Weekmakers. I think Michael did a book called Hair Heroes or something, and he celebrated many uh, very, very successful and needed to be known hairdressers throughout uh, the years. So there was a curriculum that was gonna involve that, like the history of what you're doing. Also touch on the psychology of talk, talk, touching another human being, talking to them sometimes about things that you'd rather not talk about or hearing things you'd rather not hear. How do you, how do you bob and weave in and out of those conversations safely? And um, of course, learning how to perm, cut, color and do all those things too. But if the school was at Boston College campus or nearby there, then you've got this pool of students as possible models that would be coming and going from there. You would be able to dorm there. It's in an education-based city. So it just all made sense to, uh, to bring up, elevate the whole craft there in a different way than what we grew up in. And then the idea was for the Mizu salons to take those stars, it's almost like you have a farm club in baseball and you know, like this guy's throwing hundred miles an hour, you know, we got to keep an eye on him. And uh, everyone gets educated and gets a fine education, but you're able to, to offer jobs in one of those three cities to people you really know and can see that they're gonna fly, have everything it takes from their attitude to their skills, to all that sort of stuff. And then 2008 hit. So we had signed on with this in 2008, the the Mizu in Boston was being built uh, on Boylston Street in the Prudential Center, right where the um, the bomb went off for the marathon, yep. marathon. Yep. Um, a couple of years later. And then Washington, DC, uh, that was just a sort of a Chevy Chase area. It was, a, uh, it was under construction. So that one fell through. They were willing to give up the spaces and, and keep the deal, but they weren't going to give any concessions to a couple of years free rent or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we had just taken on two floors on Park Avenue in Manhattan. And uh, so the money was just like 2008 everybody was scrambling to figure out what was going on they had to sell the building gave up the the school idea in boston uh the boston salon was was already built and about to open and we had started construction in new york so those two salons um were the two that took off under that mizu name Mm -hmm. and um and to this day damien and i are with a group out of the belgrade group out of boston are still running um the the salon on park avenue we uh took on Louis Licari, 40 year veteran, another just celebrated gem in the industry, a Ralph Lauren gentleman with another incredible um, book of clients and um, just a celebrity and all kinds of histories on the Today Show every week. He's just a wonderful guy there, but he was done. He said, I don't want to do another lease. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to be responsible for all this stuff. Um, I just want to do my thing. I've got these ideas. I got a great clientele. I'm on the Today Show. And he was looking to fold into like-minded address and in um, people. So we took him um, the July prior to COVID that he came over with what he said was going to be about 10 people. <laughs> it ended up being 33, like his entire staff came over Wow. and, and uh, it was just air traffic control of where are we going to put these people? How are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were just starting to sort through a lot of that when, uh, when COVID hit. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really filtered out so much for so many reasons, for so many salons, but that's right. sort of where we are right now. We've got a good core group there. The salon is now called Mizu Louis We mm-hmm. put his name on the door. Um, I like the idea of what happened at Bumble where there were a lot of stars there. There were a lot of people and it wasn't always about Michael. Where's Michael? Where's Michael? Right. right. It was people went there to see what was going on at Bumble. Mm-hmm. And when Damien and I opened the salon, I didn't want it to be my name or his and I didn't want it to be all about me product. The product is a different thing sure. I'll, I'll i'll wrap my arm, arms around that because that's my baby and okay. thought about it for many years but the salon is about a team of people and and i like that i liked what was happening at bumble uh, at, mm-hmm. at that those years and um and i liked the fact so when lewis came over a couple said to me look he's not he's not joining you as a partner why why are you putting his name on the door your, your name's not even on the door and i said he's earned that you know mm-hmm. he he's he's earned that and if he's going to come over here then I want people to know where he is. I want people to find him. My ego's not so big that it's going to bother me that my name's not on the door and his is. It's okay with me. Just let's bring the business, let's do the business and create the culture that we that we see happening there. So that's okay. kind of the story about how what happened with Mizu from the b- very beginning where we are today. And then again, why it has that uh, extended name of Mizu Luis Akari now.
0: Love it. Uh- I love it. I want to stay down this road. But before we do, because um, Vivian McKinder's group and team um, introduced us and they they made helped to make this uh, conversation happen. The reason why um, this conversation happened is because you have recently been collaborating with Vivian uh, on a project called Hair Heroes, and you're going to be living inside of her platform having a series, I, I'm, I'm assuming without having seen it yet, I'm assuming the series is men's hair. And so where people can actually learn from you uh, through Vivian's platform on, on men's hair, you want can we can we do a commercial for that right now? And then I want to circle back because you just opened up an, another entire beautiful can of worms. But let's talk about hair heroes for a minute.
1: Think about this 30 years ago, or 30 plus years ago, she's grooming me for an ad for Trevor Zorby. She shows up in Miami, um, and I've been in touch with her, but we lost, you know, like a decade or so. She was doing her thing; I was at board doing whatever. And uh, when uh, LBP Luxury Brand Partners uh, did a big show about four years ago in Miami, showcasing Orbe, Co, V76, mm-hmm. Smith, I I think there was a, IGK was there, mm-hmm. and um, I came off the stage after my presentation to her, and she was crying. And she came up and she just was so touched by. I was talking about how to, how do men become men. You know, what does it take to be a man? What is a man defined as today? Who taught us all to do what we do gay, straight, Asian, black, Jewish, whatever? You know, it's like who, who hands down that information to be a man and how to groom yourself. And grooming, then to me, is a, it's about, it's about exercise, it's about manners, it's about man, meditation and mantra and, and just how you carry yourself. It goes, beyond just throwing shit in your hair and, and getting a, a beard trim or something. Mm-hmm. So when she came up to me and was so touched by all of that stuff, I, I just froze to see her there and to not know she was in the audience and for her to respond that way after all these years and the stuff that I admired about her, mm-hmm. you know, and still do. Fast forward to November through this whole COVID and all this stuff, the phone rings and she says, you know, I want, I want you to be part of this program that I'm doing hair heroes <laughs> and of course I'm going you want me
0: <laughs> and you're yeah. giving
1: this thing a name hair heroes like me mm-hmm. and and she again she went into why why it mattered to her and why she, she wanted me to be heard when it comes to this whole grooming thing and um yes so it is a, a four-part series in which we do this um little haircut trending sort of thing on a mannequin head but we we dig into like how I got here mm-hmm. um, the journey of modeling and, and playing the drums the, you know trusting my hands all the things we've spoken about john and chris uh, so far and she just dug deep into all that stuff and what's mm-hmm. interesting about it is you we all go through life and we just kind of you know yeah that's that's just what happened it's just what i did but when you when you really start talking about and we could do this we could do a show on you chris we could do a show on a uh, show on you john um how you ended up where you are today mm-hmm you start to really remember all of these things and then the dots start to get connected. And she, mm. she's so gifted at doing that. Mm. And she's so elegant and she's just got such a lovely tone to her voice. And she's just so damn smart and skilled at our craft. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, um, it was a, a pleasure to spend three hours plus with her one Sunday afternoon and go through a bunch of this stuff. And she broke it into segments. And, uh, and she added me to the names of, you know, Mark Hales and, and Sam Via and all these people that she's got on on these programs, these celebrated hairdressers, some of which are new to me as well, as I'm probably new to some of them. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, she did a great job of putting this program together. And it does exist on her television. Yep. Uh, that's McKinder.
0: that's awesome. And so if you're listening, just so you know, we'll have a link to uh, HD TV Hair Designer TV, Vivian McKinder below, and you can check that out. We talk to so many salon owners, and one of the things that we do, Vaughn, is help salon owners profit. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy that we work for, you know, has six salons. We 10000000 million-ish in revenue a year, but we're in, a, we're in suburban markets. I'd love to talk a little bit about salon profitability. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure the question's popping up on salon owners' minds. Pre-COVID, you know, even pre, pre-Lewis. How the hell do you profit in New York City on Park Avenue? You know when salons are struggling to do that across the world in in normal overhead situations.
1: The only thing I can say about that is again, you, I don't do this alone. This comes with a team of people that are right. dedicated to making these things happen. And the reason why I went with LBP versus J and J and and some of these other big houses when I was thinking of doing um, a line, even Target, we were talking to like Sonia Kashik, they would make a. Um, the reason I went with luxury brand partners because they were the team that came from Bumble, right. and not just I just did it, not just that I knew them, but they they had done it before, mm-hmm. right? I could have gone with money when it came to open up in a salon. I had so many people willing to throw me millions of dollars to open up a salon and get away from Bumble and go to Park Avenue or anywhere mm-hmm. in the city, but then they would be looking for dividends in sixteen months, right? And and right. the pressure of that, so. I picked the Belgrade group. I picked these guys that had several salons, um, different level salons throughout the Northeast. Uh, again, through Vidal, Elan was a little part of that. Actually, Elan was the one that introduced me to his father and these guys. And um, so they'd done it. They know what August feels like in, in the dead of summer. They know how to prepare for the holidays. They th- Those ebbs and flows that happen in the salon world um, were what was interesting to me than just getting money. I wanted people that knew how, to, how to talk this talk and walk this walk, mm-hmm. and they had for years. So that's why we signed up with Belgrade Group. That's why I signed up with LBP, is there was experience there in both both parts, mm-hmm. and and Damien too. I knew I know what I'm good at. He knows what he's good at, and you know, and sitting down and doing payroll and crunching numbers constantly. It's 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 very important to be informed as to what's going on and how to keep things at certain levels to stay profitable you know, the cost of goods in the color department versus what you're paying off in commissions to your staff for retail. If you want to give uh, those vetted staff members after five years or so a two-week vacation where they actually get a paycheck when they come back based on their their last year's earnings, instead of, in my day, you go on vacation, you save up as hard as you can, you go away for a week or two, You not even a two, you can't afford to go away for two weeks. You go away for a week, you come back, there's no paycheck, there's no tips, and, and it's twice as hard to get the horse back into this thing. So I wanted right. to provide paid vacation for people that that dedicated those years to me. Medical too. I mean, between HIV positive to Carpo Tunnel to now COVID, you know, you need some sort of medical opportunity to, to offer your staff. You can't just say, you know, you're on your own here. Mm-hmm. The other thing about profitability is when I was looking at salons with Damian leaving Bumble, we were looking at some really cool spaces in the W building and a few other various spaces. There would have been maybe 14 chairs, you know, or so. And when, uh, Mike and, and, um, uh, John and Vidal, these guys came and they saw this, the vast space on park Avenue, they said, this is the one. And I'm like, Holy shit, this space, uh, this is huge. And they said, you, you you're not going to make money in this industry unless you have X amount of chairs. So there was something that was calculating already in their head that you, you start making money not with eight chairs in the salon. Not with right. not not with what we were trying to do. So that right. that rang out in my head that they already had that calculation that if we're going to be profitable and make money, and then of course, perfect world that would have happened. 2008 sure. happens. Well, we're spending sure. the thing. The whole sure. market's going down the toilet. My sure. wife got sick. I mean, it was just a mess. Um, but they, they bailed us out time and time again. We did, we did give up the bottom floor after 10 years and we moved everything upstairs. The building did not wanna lose us. Mm-hmm. I will again credit uh, the Belgrade Group for just making sure we were not in the rears when it came to all this stuff. And then, then all, uh, some of my other buddies from Bumble that left when I did to open these really cool places in Soho and the West Village and stuff with not that many chairs, but really cool atmosphere and vibe in their salons. Say, say they got 16 chairs in there, they're doing great, COVID hits, they can only work with eight now. Mm. They may have been in the rears a couple of times or leading up to COVID. They got a, a stylist or two that can't afford to stay in the city anymore, they're they were they're gone. So they've had to close. And it's, it's just heartbreaking, but they didn't, the one thing, as hard as it's been to keep that salon with that many people there going and pay those those bills, it's the relationship with the landlord. It's really trying to stay communication and transparent with them. But also for us at 50%, we still have 16 chairs pumping there that's mm-hmm. paying the bills right now. And mm-hmm. then, of course, you know, thank God for the PPP and all these other opportunities for us to stay afloat. And, um, but now we're meeting payroll, and we're paying bills, and we still have a little bit of concession from the building that doesn't want us to leave. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, that's, these are the biggest challenges I think that we've, we've faced. It's just keeping the team feeling safe, like it's going to be okay, stick it out, be with us. having said that, those young kids that were just on the floor, about to go on the floor, that had no clientele, they moved home. They couldn't stay, you know, Uh because Uh if you don't have clients right now in the salon, there's no hanging out. Uh You know, so you go to the restaurants, you eat. There's no bars open here. No, no congregating. We don't have a waiting room, but the salon's open. You come in, you get your work done, checking in with everybody. It's spaced out. You pay over there, you go. But there's no hanging out, no waiting for blow dries, no waiting for bang trims. It's you're on the books there, There's no reason to be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Any um, uh, just out of curiosity, any light at the end of that tunnel? You guys have any word on that?
1: Yeah. And, and that's uh, I think they're going to start to roll out more numbers to where we can start to bring more people in there. And then with the vaccinations, it's all optical now. I mean, yeah. how if, if the three of us are vaccinated and we're all masked up and we decide to get together in New York City in December for a dinner, and we're the three of us are walking down fifth avenue to our restaurant and the place is just bursting with people i mean john might go you know what vaughn i don't know man there's a lot of people in there i'm not very mm-hmm. comfortable uh with the way that looks right now a year mm-hmm. ago we would have all said let's go see what's going on this yes yeah yeah, a lot yeah, of fun. yeah
0: yeah yeah so yeah.
1: the same with the salon you walk up and you, you you're right there at the front door and it's this the, the the clients are going to feel comfortable or they're, or they're going to feel like you don't know what the hell you're doing and mm-hmm. they're going to x out of it so i don't know what those optics look like i think yep. it's it's a few more chairs. It's not like all of a sudden we're sure. back 100%. Yeah. And um, that's that's the tough part. Pricing is another thing that keeps us paying the bills. I mean, I've talked to Vivian in depth about the, the value of what we do. You know, mm-hmm. you cannot replace what we do. Mm-hmm. Talked about music earlier. Who would have told any of us when we were growing up in high school that all of those album crates that we kept our vinyl in, you know, and all the stuff that we had the CD racks and all this stuff. It's like, right. dude, just put, put that stuff away you know in a few years you're just going to be able to order the song and it's just going to come out of the air we would have Mm -hmm. been like what are you talking about yeah nobody's going to take on the music industry Mm -hmm. the point i'm making you can't do that with what our our industry provides Mm -hmm. people and it was so apparent and evident during covid
0: a hundred percent out a hundred percent i mean that it's a conversation we have on a regular and um it was we said the same thing, you know, we, we had the essential conversation and obviously there were things that needed to be taken care of before salons got back. But um, but we talked a lot about I'll tell you, the most mentioned people by politicians were hairstylists yeah. like it was the biggest conversation that politician looked like they had their haircut. That one didn't that one. And it's because, you know what, people wanted to feel connection. They wanted to feel maybe somebody else's hands on them that you know that isn't their husband or wife that you know that they get that human touch piece and they wanted to look at themselves in the mirror and feel and feel good i love your not just saying the word value but i can feel your intention behind when you say value you you you're talking about the experience that the other person receives almost on an intern not almost on an internal perspective by sitting down with you for that 30 minutes and when they leave the how that betters their experience of life and on the opposite side hairstylists missed being with their clients as well Mm -hmm. you know they missed the ability to contribute which is you know a a natural human need of all of us is we want to know how what's my part how do i play what do i give And, you know, uh, that's why so often when people leave the hairdressing industry, they become a nurse and nurses become a hairstylist. Right. Because they know that they can take care of people.
1: I would love to see our industry raise their prices. I really wouldn't. I think they've gone too low for too long. There was a study done years ago, I mean, 30 years ago was the average price of a haircut in, in the United States of America. And it, that, that's including top salons in San Francisco, Boston, Miami, Dallas, every place, right? And the barber shops and the strip malls. And the average price of a haircut some 30 years ago was around $50. You, you throw them all in a barrel, barbers, mm-hmm. everything, right? Yeah. It was just done recently. And guess what the average price of a haircut was? $50. It was around $50. Bucks. Imagine buying a car with a 30-year 30, mm-hmm. 30 previous tag on it or, or a right. box of milk or groceries or anything. Yet, for some reason... We do not as a group grab yeah. ourselves, hang on to that and, and just say we've we've got to go up. We're also afraid to raise our prices. Right. And now, more than ever, if you didn't see what just happened, mm-hmm. when I say that, show up to work on time, be be clean, be professional, okay. have you know, smell good, educate yourself, do all these things and start to own that responsibility for that touching of that other person, that petting of that person and listening mm-hmm. to them cry. One person's coming in, they, their mother mm-hmm. is dying, right? The next mm-hmm. person's going on a vacation to Hawaii and our moods just kind of all day long are up there all over the place. Right. And, um, and that's a thing that it, it goes beyond just the haircutting part of it all. It is a mm-hmm. connection and and it's crazy out there in the world. When they come into our salons, they want to get, they want to feel better about themselves, they want to look great, they don't want to think about it. Yeah. And, and it's just priceless to me. You know, it really is.
2: One of the things that we notice in our salons, and I'm going to use the word that I hear often is I'm afraid to do men's hair. I mean, I mean, that word is used in a sentence and I'm always finding that interesting. And maybe just because I've been doing this a little bit longer, I'm like, well, what are you afraid of? <laughs> you know? It's a short haircut, but obviously there's more to it. And you've been, you know, kind of had a great focus on men's grooming what is it about the business of working with men that for some salons it's it's a real it's a real hurdle it's an obstacle it's it's a real challenge for a lot of salon or salon owners who are trying to expand in the men's market do a better job market to men want to make men come back men won't spend as much money they say obviously none of that's true but what are your observations of having doing this long enough why do we have such a challenge
1: um men are men men can be intimidating you know they can be lions powerful lions that mm-hmm. walk in and, and want they can be intimidating to a young stylist male mm-hmm. or female and and if you're not um comfortable with yourself and what you're capable of doing then you know I, I can see where in some cases not a lot but yeah where that can be very intimidating for people the businessman the guy that's just sort of that that persona that he brings the other thing is when you talk about doing men's hair and the fear of that are they talking about the tools?
2: So using the clippers, learning how to do those barber style haircuts, I understand is difficult, but it goes
1: beyond that. I think men like confidence. For yeah. instance, you know, if I'm if I'm uh, sitting there and somebody's going to do something, on me, I mean I want somebody to to yeah. grab my face and do it. I don't want them to be wishy-washy about it, right? Yeah. So you have to have that confidence going into it. Mm-hmm. You're not flirting with them when you're when you know your craft and you know your professionalism and and, and but guys like I don't want to say a heavy hand on them, but they want confident hands on them. Yeah. And that, that puts them in an in a assured place where mm-hmm. when somebody's not sure about something, they can kind of dance around it. And right. vocabulary is another thing that's important. You wouldn't want to talk to a guy about, you know, if he's growing his hair out, even a cool younger guy, like, I don't know, we're going to cut like a, a bob, right? You wouldn't want mm-hmm. to use that on him. Right. You, yeah. would, you would use shoulder length, you know, you would talk about hair coming forward instead of bangs. Mm-hmm. Um so there's, there's a vocabulary, a squared off, more of a masculine vocabulary that goes in these consultations with mm-hmm. men, too. And I guess there's a whole opportunity to teach some of these things mm-hmm. you know, um, that I didn't think of so much. You're always talking about, how do I do this haircut? Mm-hmm. And then the clippers, like you said about five years ago, everybody's running off with clippers and shaving the sides of people's heads right down to the skin, right. which is very intimidating for somebody that's used to dressing hair or working with hair. So- mm-hmm that's where you go in and, and try to get a little bit more of a well-rounded education. I've, I've worked with barbers that could, I thought they use clippers and they did it all with shears. Right. And they're that gifted at doing that. So if you, mm-hmm. if you master your craft that much, it's like um, to me, a clipper, a trimmer, a razor, a blending shear uh, shears of different lengths. These, these are just tools like a, like a con- contractor is not going to use a Phillips head screwdriver to tighten some thing. You know, he needs tools for his, for what he sees he wants to get done right for me uh it's that but it is playing in a shorter world right mm. generally speaking men's hair is shorter even today it's you know it's, it's growing out a little bit because of uh the 70s kind of trending and, and sure. all of that the covid guys have grown their hair out again a little bit but um still it, this it's the length it's here it's not it's not something that's being ironed it's not something that's being back it's not right so um yeah, I, I guess as you as you as you speak about that, I start to realize uh, a lot of that goes into like just showing people how to touch a man, or showing somebody how to put a neck strip on them, knowing how to uh, you know touch a beard, comb a beard, trim a beard, eyebrows, you know, unwanted mm-hmm. hair in the ears, unwanted hair in the nose. These these things men love you when you when you address those details because
2: right.
0: nobody brings them up
2: yeah nobody talk yeah no. nobody even talks about it never mind yeah. saying hey let me take care of that for you
0: He's, yeah and I think you, you know? nailed it on confidence I mean yeah. it's 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 funny because I grew up in a family of barbers and and you know a scissor over comb style barber uh, life and and I actually teach I've been teaching our men's cutting at the school for the past few rounds just because I've been standing in for a teacher that uh, just had babies it's I I watch the approach, and if you just say it's a men's haircut as opposed to a pixie cut, mm-hmm. their whole body changes. And I and there's even a deeper conversation around a lot of the new team that we are bringing up are so introverted in their just their natural life that we're we're having the confidence conversation a lot lately. And um, I
1: picked up on that when Wynn talked about you know yeah. th- there are people coming from. Uh, God knows where and what happened to them prior and how they ended up becoming hairdressers. And the one thing that I think that, that made so much sense to me is they want to feel like they belong there, you know, yeah. and uh, you don't know their past. You don't. Go ahead, John.
2: Yeah. I, I want to loop back on that because you brought it up like three or four times that it sounds like the Wynn, uh podcast we did, Wynn Claybaugh. Really yeah i want to make too. an
0: introduction to you guys if, if you if you don't yeah. know him if you'd like that because he's he is a great guy so
1: no, I mean with a name like win you gotta win right? <laughs> he's winning he's winning but
0: um, I think that
2: some of some of the information in that podcast really struck a chord with you and some yeah. of that information was you know feeling safe feeling like you belong mm. both of those things you said um, more than once um, you know I reflect back on that time that um I bumped into, for lack of a better way to put it, at Bumble. Um, but that was a sense of belonging. Huh. Safety, belonging, talk about that, because I think that's that struck a chord with you.
1: Well, that's what the culture is. That's I mean, if you want to create uh, this kind of atmosphere and elevate mm-hmm. the customer experience, then you need a team of people that that have those primary things that are just in, embedded in them once mm-hmm. they're hit the floor at your salon, that they feel like they belong there and that they they'll pick up and clean after themselves and they're proud of where they work and um but when you when you deal with as many people as you do mm-hmm. both of you and and win does and i do that the stylists that come and go the um the apprentices that come in they have no idea their backgrounds you mm-hmm. know and what they're trying to overcome uh you know for lack of other observations the barber barber world uh there's a lot of people that have been incarcerated that, mm-hmm. that learned that skill while in in jail and um so you just don't know, you know, right. you really don't know. And what you want is to give them that crack of being who they want to be today. Now that they're joining your team, or there to study and mm-hmm. become, you know, try to be part of that thing. And at the end of the day, if they're on the floor cutting here, doing your clients and, and, and in that culture that you're working so hard to protect, mm-hmm. they certainly need to feel like they belong there.
2: Um- Let's talk about men. Let's talk about men getting older.
1: Men have a, they have the green light. We can wrinkle and bald and gray. <laughs> yeah. men, women t- don't like those words at all. <laughs>
2: Not even a little bit. My wife says all the time, "How come every year you get older, you look better, and I don't?" And <laughs> you know, I argue the point with her because my wife's uh, beautiful. But that's a reoccurring theme, isn't it? You know, well, what, is having, it, yeah. what is it? What is it?
1: Having said that, it doesn't mean that men want a gray or bald right. or wrinkle. They all want to look as best as they can every day too. Mm-hmm. So why what is that dynamic that that where women, if they need color, they need color. Right. If they got extensions in, yeah, I got some extensions in. You made my hair longer. Oh, I have to go and I had some Botox. It's all acceptable, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Right. If
1: a guy is wearing a bad toupee, horrible.
2: <laughs> right. If
1: a has got bad color in his hair, it backfires like four times, right? Right. The guy is getting plastic surgery and it's obvious like, what are you doing? Yeah. So it's, it's funny that we can actually live and we gain all this character by having our hearts broken and being Mm. wrinkled and scarred. And in some cases, you know, all these different variations we go through where women it's, it's not welcome at all. And there's a whole business that's built on protecting or trying to preserve all of that stuff. But again, having said that, I don't want to thin out. I don't want to go gray. I don't want to wrinkle. I don't want to have my heart broken. I mean, these things, but for some reason, men gain character with that.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, when we talk about that character and you talked about this a little bit and I want to dig a little deeper into it, you know, who teaches men how to be men and being a man doesn't mean being able to punch somebody in the face or drive a car faster or or make more money than than your wife does. There's there's a whole bunch there that we're missing.
1: Responsibility is a big word, you know, yeah. when it comes to being a man. Um, mm-hmm. Again, regardless, men. Uh, some of us. I had a father that was was a bad dude, you know, and mm-hmm. um, but he was a dude, and there were things I picked up from him. Uh, you know, I'd like to think they're not not the bad habits, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a strong uncle, his brother that got sober and tried to try to pull him in that direction. And you know, I've been able to understand alcoholism and addiction through my whole career. I get a big businessman. I had a guy come in just last week. I've known him for 20 some years and uh, confessed to me. And, and it was you could just see him kind of hang his head a little bit. I'm like, you raise your head high. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to admit that you need help, regardless of what that is. I mean, this is this is a celebration. You shouldn't be ashamed of any of that. Mm-hmm. And, and fortifying, again, these are conversations that go way beyond doing somebody's hair, right? right. What's yeah. the value of that once again? And this is mm-hmm. how close we get to our clients sometimes, whether it's death, illness, addiction, um, all of it. So um, I was raised with a single mother, you know, and, um, and she taught me certain things. You know, I did have a grandfather. Some, some uh, again, gay kids, they're thrown out of their house in the South and moved to New York City to, to, mm-hmm. to find themselves and that's, that's just a big question that's, that was part of a study for me for a little while, asking various men from all different backgrounds, they taught you how to be a man. And the answers, you know, the common denominator that starts to run through that, I think more than not was just uh, at some point, you need to be responsible for yourself, for the mm-hmm. people around you. Um, and then you can define responsibility in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, again, these are the things that fed into this word grooming mm-hmm. that went beyond just men's hair or barbering or a hairdresser, you know, what is men's grooming? It is skin, it's it's, it's manners, it's a beard, it's hair, but it's also all the, the other things that, you know, what happens when as soon as our, we open our eyes in bed and before our feet hit the floor, do we just sit there for a minute and take in the day for a couple of seconds? Do we say a mantra? Do we pray for somebody that's we're thinking about, you know? Mm-hmm. And then when we do hit the floor, do we stretch? Um, there's all these things, you know, all these little things that groom us every day to be who we are.
0: Mm-hmm first of all, there's so uh, much here. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's, this has been way better than I anticipated, not, not for any reason we had never met before. And sometimes those conversations are, you know, they get deeper, faster or slower. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I could just uh, feel, and I know John, you felt the same thing as the, the mm-hmm. minute Vaughn jumped, jumped on the podcast. It was like, oh, this is, this is somebody we're going to be able to talk to. You know, this mm-hmm. is somebody who, understands people. You know, I talked a little bit about some accolades in the beginning, you know, A-list and, you know, clientele and this and that. And it's becoming more and more obvious as you've kind of shared, uh, Vaughn, throughout this conversation that you don't get to connect with people like that unless you're a good person, usually, Mm -hmm. unless the, you know, you don't get asked back uh, time and time and time again in a, in a, a place of service, unless you did a great job serving that place. Mm-hmm. And so, I just want to—I just want to say that I uh, want to honor you for that, um, John. Uh, I know there's a ton that I'm taking away, John. I mean, I know there's a million things you're walking away with. What's I mean, on yeah, there, there,
2: there's so much here, and there's so much stuff we didn't really get to talk about. You know, I want to get to know more about, you know, uh, Vaughn's hairline. You know, yeah. B76,
0: which we didn't really get to spend a lot of time with. Yeah, we'll have links to V76 below, by the way, in the show notes.
1: Well, there's a there's a powerful good website that we just rebuilt, and there's you know you can go into that and find find a lot out about that without me having to go over it right now. But I, I appreciate the shout out. It's a lifetime's worth of work, mm-hmm. and um, so V76.com pretty easy. The year I started my initial.
2: You know, I just want to thank you know Vaughn for everything that he shared. You know, everything from you know what it's like to make that transition. You know, as a hairdresser, what it's like to build a culture, right? Whether you were part of the Bumble culture or the Mizu culture that came afterwards, you know, what it's like to be responsible. You know, I find it interesting that when we talk about, you know, being a man, that we're talking about things like grooming and we're talking about things like a mantra and we're talking about things like saying a prayer for somebody in the morning. You know, being a man isn't just about smelling good and having a nice haircut. It's about being a good human being. You know, know, uh, Warren Buffett, I saw an interview with him a couple of years ago and he said, what's the single most important thing you look for when hiring? And he said manners. He says, "I work with people from all over the world in all types of industries, and if you don't have at least that, I can't work with you." And I, that always stuck with me. Um, and I know I reflected on this a while ago, but it's still—it's still a memory of something that happened 20 years ago, right? Where I had bumped into you at, you know, Bumble, and that kindness still—I still remember that, right? think of all the people we as hairdressers have that moment with and we don't even recognize it because you spent a little time listening to them you spent a little time being kind to them they get to open up with you and talk to you about their addiction um you know what better job than we does anyone have yeah know? yeah so, it's true
1: i'm so um, grateful i really yeah. am so grateful for uh, mm-hmm. for that reflection that you gave me today made my probably (laughs) several days not just today that you remembered that and shared that with me and um i'm just i'm grateful to be in this industry to be still at it after all we've been through and i think the gratitude is is what i'll come away from all all of this COVID stuff with not only just the challenges of keeping a team together and feeling like they're okay um that we can keep moving forward but i'm just i'm just grateful
0: Yeah, that's awesome. No, and we have everywhere from cosmetology school students on up. Anything you think we left on the table or any last words you want to leave us with?
1: Um, Follow your heart, you know, and and get out of your own way sometimes. And you never know what
0: you might might leave room for. (laughs) Yeah, love that. Hey, John, I was just thinking back to the time you and I wanted to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago, but it was, wasn't it? It's the truth. And the reason why we wanted to do that was because we wanted to bring people, you know, some of the best conversations with some of the best icons in the industry. And um, we met another real icon in the industry who's doing something similar, maybe at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So we're on with Vivian McKindra today. Isn't that exciting? That's
2: great. You know, what you're talking about is that um, whole series she has on Hair Heroes, right? Because Vivian's taken that idea that we originally had, which is how we connect with these icons in the industry. And Vivian's taken that, you know, as you said, one level higher. So, you know, Vivian, such a great series. Where, where did this come from? Where does idea for Hair Heroes start out?
3: Well, Hair Heroes was born during COVID and um, I was feeling sad and somewhat depressed. And I thought, what do I do when I feel like this? And I'm very fortunate. I've worked with so many iconic hairdressers throughout my career. I thought you reach out to those who are gifted and talented and you share the story of who they are and get inspired and then inspire others. And I did that in the very beginning, 15 years ago when I created the film series, I'm not just a hairdresser. So this is a kind of a rebirth of something that was very important to my heart. Mm -hmm. So Hair Heroes was this journey to reach out to the icons, the best hairdressers in the world and ask them to tell me their story. And so it's their journey from humble beginnings to where they are today. It is a dive into their photographic work to understand the secrets behind their designs. And I'm sure many of us have looked at some of the posts on Instagram and thought, I'm gonna copy that, only to find out, oh my gosh, how did they do that? And it's so difficult. So it's amazing when you have the artists tell you how they created those looks. And many of them, I was like, really? Oh my gosh, I would never have thought you did it that way. So there's a learn and there's also the creative process of problem solving, which we do every day when someone's sitting in our chair, we have to problem solve to take them from something that's not working to something that's gorgeous. So we go through the hair heroes' photographic journey, and then the hair heroes, I ask them to teach me something, which they all laugh at. And it's like, come on, I want teach me something. What's your favorite signature? trick, whatever, I want you to teach me. And they do. And it's been so much fun to be taught by these famous, famous hairdressers. And then we finish with a dive inside the artist's mind to look at how do you overcome challenges? How do you overcome intimidation or frustration or whatever that may be? And therefore, by the time we are complete, we've been inspired, we've been motivated. We know we go underneath the hood of mastery. And I think the greatest deception of all is that mastery appears simple and it is not. And a great master makes it look easy. Mm -hmm. So when you start to unravel it and you start to understand the workings of mastery, little pieces of it will rub off on you because who you associate yourself with you'll become more like. So I always believe human behavior is contagious. And so to me, it's the responsibility to have these iconic people inspire, lead, motivate us. And there may be something that is said or something that you see that is a turning point in your career. And I say that because every single one of these icons that I've interviewed, something was a turning point for them that changed their course of their career to bring them to where they are today. And so I think that's a really rich story. So you could say it's that blend of taking the podcast world into the demonstration world, into the documentary world. And it really is an incredible journey as to what it takes to be successful. And if there's one thing that they all have in common is passion. Mm -hmm. And when you can connect to your passion you have the fuel to go through the challenges and the obstacles in life. And you have a sense of purpose when your passion has a path to follow. And that's what My Hair Heroes is all about.
0: That's amazing, Vivian. I mean, you've worked you know, closely with some of these icons. You were artistic directors for two of the biggest names in the world, Vidal Sassoon and Trevor Sorby. Um, and now you're bringing that out you know, 2020 style, check out Hair Heroes. We've got a link in the descriptor. Go ahead and click on that and just join the vision and join the journey today.
2: Every time we have one of these conversations, I walk away with a little bit more than I knew before I came in. And I love that about these podcasts.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, we also walk away with a lot of gratitude to our listeners. You know, we, we, we're we watching those listens go up. I, we, we hate to ask, but we know there's a few things we need to ask for. I don't hate asking. <laughs> not even a little bit.
2: Hey, for those of you who haven't heard me ask before, five-star reviews. You got the phone in your hand. It's down by your lap. I don't care where it is, but it's not that far away from you. Five-star reviews. You know, you want to do it. You know, you love this podcast. Share it with the world because every time you
0: create a five star review, an angel gets his his wings. Did you know that? Yeah. And while that angel is getting his wings, it helps us move up. um, You know, it helps us get more noticed in the podcast world, helps share the message. And if you're really being served by this, which we hope you are, um, you know, we'd love for you to share that with some other salon owners. The other thing we're going to ask you to do is to follow us on Instagram at 124.go, as well as Facebook. We're going to get more active on our Facebook page. And so if you're a Facebooker, then uh, follow us on Facebook at one two four go. And um, if you're a grammar, please tag us in your stories, and we'll do the same uh, in ours. So thanks again for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Bye.